going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to this supplemental episode of Hey Human Podcast. I had a brief conversation with Dr. Rendy Murphy. She was on the show a couple weeks ago and she's an epidemiologist and I asked her if she would uh, get on the horn with me here and update what she knows so far about what's going on, the latest news with the virus. So she was very kind to take some time out of her insanely busy schedule and do that. And here it is for us now. Thank you for listening. Please take care of each other. Stay home. I love you. Take care. And here we go. Dr. Rendy Murphy, welcome back to Hey Human. Yes, wish I could say it was good to be here, but things have gotten a little nutty, so they've, what can we do? They've gotten really, <laughs> really kind of whack. Um, it's it's interesting because the last time we talked, which was not very long ago at all, we were like, okay, wash your hands, don't make out with people, <laughs> like, use your Purell, don't be dumb, blah, 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 and... Which is, you know, I think still good advice, but suddenly things yeah. things have just really shifted. So I wanted to get you back to talk about what's going on, because I think people are really scared and don't know what's happening and don't know who to trust. I know. And, you know, um, I know we've talked before, but, like, things change, like, not just every day, but multiple times a day. You know, we'll see a press conference at 10 a.m., either from the feds or the state or a phone call. And then, you know, by four, it's something different. And so it makes it really, really difficult to plan. So, um, you know, we have these, like, meetings that turn into just, you know, like, all-day events um, because, you know, by the time we think we have our plan ready and we're ready to, you know, do something, then something's changed and we have to kind of start over again. Yeah, it does seem like every uh what four or five hours it's a whole new ball of wax is that is yeah is the virus itself changing is it mutating or is it just that we're learning more about it or is it just because it's spreading so quickly yeah it's not mutating that we know of but we've entered what they call this acceleration phase so um because you know community transmission because one person can you know potentially infect three others you get this rapid sort of, you know, doubling and tripling of, you know, people who might be infected. And so um, I think that's what we're starting to see. And again, all of these like aggressive, you know, measures about recommending school closures and limiting the number of people for mass gatherings. Like last night, CDC said 50, no more than 50. And then today the president said no more than 10. And these, these things are, are tricky because we're, we're just trying to kind of keep the number of cases every day below the threshold of sort of exceeding what our hospitals can take care of, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we had no intervention, you might see just a huge spike in just a couple of days in the number of cases where we'd overwhelm the hospitals and healthcare and we'd just be in a mess, right? We'd probably have more people die. But what we're trying to do is just sort of delay, 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 and try to keep the number of cases below this line, this imaginary line of um, what the hospitals can can handle. So, you know, even if you're healthy and you think, you know, what, I, you know, there's no reason I should stay at home. Like, please just follow the advice of healthcare and, you know, follow the um, the guidance of your officials and just 
you know, try to comply. And in the end, if we are have a lower death rate than some other couple um, other countries, then we'll be glad we did it. And, you know, had just, you know, minor inconvenience for a couple of weeks, but, you know, yeah. in the grand scheme of life. You bring up a good point about overwhelming hospitals because we only, there's only a certain amount of ICU beds, right, in America and only a certain amount of respirators, I'm assuming. And, Right. So I think ventilators is the the thing that hospitals are worried about running out of. If they have, you know, patients that have severe complications and they require ventilator support to breathe while they try to, you know, um, fight the illness and recover from the illness, then, you know, it puts the hospitals in a really tough situation of, you know, having to potentially, you know, triage or um, go to altered crisis or altered or crisis standards of care, that sort of thing. And nobody wants to do that. So, um, and, you know, we, we have an enormous strain on just supplies. So personal protective equipment, mask, gloves, eye protection, um, respirators or face masks are in short supply. Testing materials are in short supply. You know, CDC's advised going from they, you know, just a month ago or a couple of weeks ago, they wanted you to draw blood or serum and do a nasal swab and an oral swab and maybe send sputum. And now they're sending like just one swab. Like <laughs> we need to cons- conserve our swabs. So we're just going to do one swab per patient. And so, you know, it's all about just trying to conserve materials so that we can hopefully have materials while we try to, you know, keep this you know, this, um, this peak from exceeding um, what we currently can do um, at the healthcare system. So trying to keep it under this, trying to, you know, shorten the curve, we, flatten sure. the curve. Flatten the curve. About. Flatten right. the curve. Yeah. And a couple of weeks ago, we said, you know, this, we think it's a lot like, we talked about, you know, it's a lot like a flu, but this, this is spreading seems faster than a flu. Yeah. So it does seem to be, have a, um, you know, uh, transmissibility or um, infectiousness seems to be more than flu. So, um, you know, things are changing all the time. But the, the the figure I saw most recently was like, you know, one um, coronavirus case can potentially spread it to three others. And that's, you know, um, one and a half or two times more than flu. And then um, also, you know, I've read a recent um, editorial by Tom Frieden, who, as you probably know, since you're a CDC um, fan, (laughs) is a former director of CDC. And he wrote a really good um, sort of editorial or article to help us kind of understand you know, why the, the strong reaction is necessary. And he helped me understand that, you know, typically from, you know, complications from pneumonia um, for influenza are like pneumonia, but it looks like the severe complications from coronavirus is what we call acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is a totally different pathology from pneumonia. And I think more difficult to deal with. So still, still we see, you know, the death rate in the U.S. is still, you know, at three, four, under 5%. So we're still saying, you know, 95, 96% of people will get infected or survive. But the folks that are in that highest risk group, elderly, people with immunocompromising conditions, folks with comorbidities, or if you're older and you have comorbidities, you're at much greater risk of developing complications. And those are the people we really want right now nationwide, heeding the advice to stay away from congregate settings, 
you know, social distance, wash our hands, stay at home, those kinds of things. It is weird to see all these people saying, screw it, I'm going to go party, and I'm fine, and I think, and you don't... You have no idea who you may be infecting if you're asymptomatic. And I think about, too, that we've had several hundred, if not thousands of years to adapt to the flus that we see, let alone, and then, you know, maybe a couple decades to adapt to the newer flus. But since nobody has an adaptation immunity to this within their own body, I imagine it makes it that much harder to fight. Right. And, you know, we're starting to see, you know, we've been going under this very sort of um, clear guidance of your infection is between two and four, or sorry, the incubation period is between two to 14 days. And you probably are, you know, you're not spreading if you don't have symptoms. And I'm starting to hear sort of, you know, nasal um, figures say, we may be seeing, you know, um, contagion before symptoms, or it might be that people with mild symptoms are contagious and they just don't recognize that they're symptomatic, or maybe there is a role in spread with kids that we're not recognizing because kids, you know, are not having very severe symptoms. So, like, for example, I think that CDC lowered the fever definition for folks who are older because they may not be having fever that reaches that 100.4 and maybe we need to think about you know fever being defined as 99.5 and greater i mean that's a very low you know fever threshold so you know we're learning all the time and things are changing and so we just have to sort of try to adapt with the change and just, you know, um, do the best we can. And, and again, that's why these, you know, potentially asymptomatic infections, potentially mild symptoms, you know, that's why we need people who think they're healthy and don't, you know, think they have the best immune system in the world to really heed the advice of what public health is trying to implement to try to stop, you know, community, you know, widespread transmission. And for people who are younger, who uh, it's still of leaving some scar tissue behind in lungs and things, from what I understand. And I'm trying to keep up with all the research, but my God, it's changing so it's rapidly. It's impossible. Yeah. yeah, it's impossible. I had heard that there's some different findings on CT scan that might help, you know, identify between influenza and coronavirus infection, but that's not. Um, you know, diagnostic at this point. So mm-hmm. I, that's about all I know. We'll probably learn everything about this in about a year or two, right? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> there will be lots and lots and lots of science and, you know, papers and yeah. information that we learn once we're further, you know, down the road or get sort of ahead of it. I look forward to reading your book on it also. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and on the other thing that I heard uh, as well was that... Um, if you've had it already you can actually get it again and again that thing about your body having an immunity that they're seeing people getting sick with it more than once yeah i you're probably more read up on that than i am susan just um that was something that came up really early on based on some science coming from you know other countries yeah um there are some papers that have been published in the you know u.s literature some things in mmwr and i think in the journal of the american medical association but i've not read the details on those so um 
Yeah, I sorry. He no, no, it's okay. More of an expert on that than I am at this point. <laughs> I don't think anyone's an expert at this point. But um, <laughs> what do you see as far as what's going to come next? I just read uh, a few minutes ago that San Francisco is doing a lockdown. I know that places in New York, like New Rochelle, did a lockdown. Do you think? Do you? Th- yeah. I mean, things are going to get worse before they're better. I guess. Yeah, I think, I mean, hopefully these, you know, dramatic restrictions of movement are going to, you know, keep it from getting to the worst case scenario, right? Like, it's always hard to judge those things when you're in the middle of the event. I mean, the president said today that they're not considering, you know, nationwide curfews and restrictions and that sort of thing. But as you have just noted, that there are state and local jurisdictions that are implementing those kinds of things to try to um, keep, um, you know, widespread community transmission from happening in their in their jurisdictions. And that's certainly within their purview. And those decisions are made based on sort of the local you know what we call the local epidemiology of what's happening is it widespread what's it look like how much capacity do you have right how many tests can you run so there's a lot that goes into play at the local level um when those decisions are made about you know implementing those rather you know austere and unprecedented in our lifetime recommendation about limiting movement and travel and that sort of thing let's say if we do if we do sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you there no i was just gonna say how i just um i honestly like thought that a pandemic big influenza would probably not happen in my lifetime and so i'm having to eat those words to some degree (laughs) because this is definitely sort of a you know once in a lifetime event yeah, I, it's it's nuts. Um, although, again, I mean, you and I have had plenty of conversations that said uh, the pandemic was coming, but I don't think either of us had any concept that it would be like this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like we, you know, we've talked about it and we've we've hypothesized and yeah. we role played and we've simulated and all of that, right? And so, um, I think that there have been exercises where we have practiced you know taking it to this level over the course of like a maybe a 24-hour exercise right where we're just talking about it but when it comes to taking those written plans and those you know practice scenarios and really like seeing it happen it's just not anything that I think anyone expected so but the important thing that was to remember is are these mitigation you know, closing schools, restricting travel, all of those things have been discussed for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, I mean, I'm shocked that it's actually here that we're having to do that. Well, and that's the thing, too, is to understand uh, to the, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, the layman that's experiencing this, that they, that people don't understand that these, y'all have been running scenarios like this forever. And this is how you stop the spread of something. Right. So, you know, um, papers that have been written, conferences that have been held (laughs) to sort of demonstrate the plausibility of these kinds of things, um, you know, never get too much press attention. (laughs) You know, they just kind of, you know, get filed away. They're not that sexy when we're first doing it. But then, (laughs) you know, yes. So most people don't understand that, you know, there have been scientists 
um, and public health officials working on these kinds of things for, you know, for a really long time, decades, back, even, even before 10 years ago, before pandemic H1N1. Yeah. So um, I've read papers of, written in the 50s that talk about this stuff. So I think it's been they've been aware of this sort of idea for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. There's this great um, comparison, I think, from Philadelphia and maybe someplace in Missouri back during 1918, Mm. where one town didn't do anything and the other one leaned really far forward. And the number of deaths that were prevented is just, you know, so remarkable. So, um, yeah, it's not just that we're kind of, you know, grasping things out of the air. Hey, what can we do? These are things that are based on history and data and science and modeling and all of those things. Meanwhile, uh, frantically, uh, a vaccine is is somebody is trying to, many people I know are trying to figure out how that will happen because otherwise, even if we flatten, will it just resurge again without a vaccine? Is that a possibility? Yeah. Well, it's possible that it becomes just sort of part of our ecology, right? Um, The way West Nile virus is now, um, the way H1N1 is now. So it's it's possible that after we have this sort of however long it's going to be, a few months or maybe a year, you know, until it, um, you know, until the population sort of, um, people use this term sort of burns through the population. But anyway, you know, until we have seen it everywhere, right, and, and we start to build some community immunity through, ex, you know, infection and exposure, I mean, it's possible that it could become part of seasonal, you know, influenza season every year where we we see all kinds of things other than flu circulating. You know, we have mm-hmm. milder coronaviruses that circulate every year. We have rhinovirus, enterovirus, parainfluenza, you know, lots of different you know, respiratory viruses that are part of the seasonal influenza nasty cocktail, right? So <laughs> yeah. It's 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 possible that after we have it kind of, you know, move through our the entire population in the US that we may see it sort of settle in and just be sort of part of our natural ecology. And this is now officially a SARS coronavirus, right? Meaning that it's respiratory well, it's Yeah, so this actually happened probably about a month ago when they decided to change the name of the disease to COVID-19. The International Science Muckety Muck, I don't know what the name of it is, decided to call the virus SARS-CoV-2. But to try to avoid alarm with comparison to SARS back in the day, yeah. they've sort of, CDC has sort of, and everyone has sort of downplayed the fact that in the taxonomy, they're calling it SARS CoV 2, but most of the public health agencies, just to make sure there's no confusion, is calling it the virus that causes COVID 19. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's just, it's that, that <clears throat> SARS terminology is just sort of a, for scientists and taxonomists and that sort of thing. All right. Well, I know you are extremely busy. I want. I just want to ask you one last question. I really appreciate sure. your time, Randy. Uh, you're the best. Um, what should people do? Should they start to feel... Now, obviously, the common cold is still out there. It's going to be allergy season. There's all sorts of things that make people cough and wheeze. So... Yeah. Any advice to people that are just hoping not to get sick? Yeah, so, you know, we've been telling people to sort of, you know, prepare yourself, um, prepare your home, right? Be ready to stay at home for a few weeks. Um, 
you know, if you have to, and it looks like lots and lots of people are going to be asked to do that. Yeah. Um, stay at home if you're sick. Know where to find local information. I heard a super cool thing from CDC today that they've been working from Google to make sure that like from wherever you are from your IP address when you Google COVID it's going to bring up your state health department because that's where you're going to have the most local and you know the most um, accurate local information so you know you also want to people who are at highest risk um, that are vulnerable to complication like you you are the ones that you know the most <laughs> need to be protecting yourself and your family. Um, so yeah. Okay. Just I appreciate, I appreciate the update, Randy, please stay well yourself. I know you're, you're moving about trying to get information out and that puts you in a vulnerable position. So please stay safe. Okay. We'll do it. Susan. Thank Good you. Luck. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye.